Hello everybody and welcome to the ninth edition of the Hidden Figures podcast. Um, thank you for everyone that's been listening so far. Um, and apologies that I didn't put out one last week. It's been, I've, I've just had a very hectic schedule and just haven't had the time. Um, also, if anyone was wondering why we jumped from six to eight or five to seven, I can't remember which one it was, but it's because I can't put out one of the interviews for a particular reason, but um, hopefully at some point I'll put it back out and obviously it will be titled Hidden Figures Episode 6. But um, yes, today I am delighted to have an actual family member of mine, my uncle is my mum's brother, um, so literal uncle um, here today, um, Uncle Brenga. Um, who works in private equity in Nigeria, but is here on holiday, and I thought <clears throat> it would be a good it would be a good opportunity to grab him, um, talk to him. Um, so, Uncle, if you don't mind, just quickly, maybe in like over a couple of minutes, just explain what exactly it is you do in Nigeria, um, and then we'll kind of start the interview and go into into you. Okay. All right. Well, no thanks. First of all, thanks for you guys taking your time on a Sunday. I'm sure you'd rather be resting <laughs> on, well, a, on a very hot day. Well, thanks for um, But yeah, no, thanks for, for, for taking the time. Um, in terms of what I currently do, um, I currently, uh, as you said, uh, I'm a partner in a firm called Argentil. We are a principal investing private equity uh, advisory firm Originally, we focused primarily in the energy space, but now we cut across sectors. So um, we're into real estate um, as an investor. We also also invest in uh, SMEs, small, medium enterprises. Um, So we've done an agri-company, agri-processing. We've done a, uh, a company that builds homes using prefab prefab yeah prefabricated tech technology so they can build quicker okay so we're quite excited about that and then uh we also invested in a company called chocolate city they're part of chocolate city group which is probably one of the largest indigenous media and entertainment groups um but they manage restaurants and lounges so that's the business we are co-investors with them in. Okay. So we have one in Abuja. We're looking to acquire something in Lagos. And the idea is to have that in about five, six cities. Okay. Um, 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 and then, yeah, so those are the kind of things that we do on the investment side. Um, 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 like I said, traditionally, we did a lot more in power, oil and gas, um, mm-hmm. um, as a firm, but right now we're we're looking across sectors. Okay, thank you. Um, so, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were born here in London, right? Um, and then you moved over to Nigeria, but when you were like a really young. Yes. Am I right in saying that? Yes, I can't actually remember. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was born in in Hammersmith. Actually, oh, so probably just here, just yeah. around here. Um, and I probably spent, I was probably on, I was probably about four. Okay. Um, because the, the memory I actually have is burning my hand. I actually have my left hand. There's, there's actually a burn around it. And I remember 
vividly the fact that I dipped my hand in hot water when I shouldn't have. And <laughs> I actually do. <laughs> and I, I remember that. Nuts as well. <laughs> so, yeah, but I probably think I went back about four or five. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. And then, um, so do, do you remember even getting to Nigeria or was it just most of your memories, childhood memories are in, in Nigeria? Honestly, like I said, apart from very selective memories and then yeah. some pictures that yeah. I, I've, I've seen most of my memories as a child was, was growing up in Nigeria. Okay, and it was in Lagos, right? Yes, always lived in Lagos. Yeah, What's, what was Lagos like as a child? Lagos was actually... What is this, the 70s, I'm assuming? The, yeah, yeah the so 70s. this is like late 70s because if I went back in 76, yeah, so I'm probably talk, talking from about 77. Okay. Um... We lived in Maryland, which was um, at the time a, like quite a close. Yeah. So, so we lived in a close. Everyone knew each other. Yeah. Um, every parent was responsible for every child. So yeah. in addition to your parents being able to scold you, you had neighbors who could scold you as well. Yeah. But, the, but the good thing about growing up in that environment was we everybody did did everything together so you went to people's houses you ate with them um i remember for someone who doesn't really eat a lot of adventurous food i You're remember like I <laughs> one of my friends uh, uh the dad was from the southwest jebu but he married a lady from calabar yeah and they're and known for their soups yeah. yeah and i remember as a child always being at the right time for them to have lunch and eating their nice soups, but yeah, um, um, and then so um, and the, but I think about when I, when we're about probably twelve, thirteen, we moved to Ikeja, okay, uh, um, to uh, a larger place. Yeah. Uh, um, um, but I think by then I was also in boarding school. Oh, so you went to boarding yeah, because I went to a, a federal government college. Boarding school. school. Yeah. Um, so my memories were more in boarding school actually after a while yeah, because I, I probably spent most of my enjoyable yeah. period in what, school. What was boarding school like? And was it people from all over? Was it like a very middle class school? Like what was the what was the Well the, the thing about boarding school then was um it was a federal government school. Yeah. Um but uh everybody so was it in Lagos? Or? Yes, it was in Lagos in Badagri. Yeah. Um, but it was a mixture of everyone. So quite a number of people had come from the primary schools in Lagos. Yeah. But they also had a strategy of ensuring that there were other uh, people who came primarily from the north. Okay. Uh, um, so you had quite a few people <coughs> who 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 came in from the north. Yeah. But there was a different blend because the thing about at that time, there was quite a lot of um, the, the fact that education was relatively cheap. Yeah. Um, and states actually also sponsored uh, some of their indigents to come into those, 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 those kind of schools because you actually had to sit like a common entrance from, a, I think, probably year 10, year 11. Okay. Uh, to pass, and I remember my dad saying that when he went to look at my my results, he looked straight at the state 
yeah. uh, entries because what happened is each state had like a number of people that could go into the federal okay, yeah. schools. So he looked at the states and he didn't see my name and he thought, oh God, <laughs> this boy hasn't passed. But then there was now a list which came in on the federal list yeah. for, for, for people who done very well. Okay, so I actually went okay. into school on a scholarship. Okay, uh, okay. I never um, knew that. At the federal level. But no, but boarding school was, was, was great. I mean, so I you think... actually boarded, even though you lived in the city? Yes. But Dagri's right at the end of Lagos, though, right? It's like right Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like... It's where the slave... It's where the slave... It's, it's yes. the slave museum now. So there's a like huge that. slave yeah. museum there. Yeah. It borders the next country called... Um, a Benin Republic. Benin Republic. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing was, you know, I was actually discussing this recently. The funny thing was that people were day students in that time. Mm. So there was a, a friend of mine, Deji Daldu, who literally lived um, in Maryland, yeah. um, very close to where I, I used to live. Yeah. And he, uh, he, he, he was a day student. Yeah. Uh, um, um, so at that time, Lagos was much, the population was less. Yeah, much more. And you could drive that distance on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's probably a myth. Um, my mum has always said that, like, as a kid, you were, you've always been about, you've been very focused and about your money. <laughs> <laughs> um, where where did that come from? Where did that drive come from? I know, I know also Auntie Bookie, Uncle K. I, I can't quite, I don't know if you were involved in this, but I, I vaguely remember stories of my mum saying, like, they used to sell bread or they came up with some hustle to sell bread to people and part of the school or something like that but I just I did, the impression I got and I know my mum she's like completely not but I've always got the impression obviously I'll, I'll get on to other parts in the interview as well but that the three of you have always been like somewhat hustling in different ways to make am I right in saying that or yeah 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 I mean again I think I think Bookie in the bread thing was 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 my sister Bookie. She's always been more of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, so I think the idea was, this was when we're still in Maryland. Yeah. Uh, baking bread and supplying it to... Oh, so you actually baked the bread? I didn't realise yeah. that. And I can't remember if she baked it or she got a baker to do it to and do then it, yeah. sold it on. But the idea was to sell bread to households. Okay. Uh, um, um, so yeah, so, so she did that. I guess in terms of... Yeah, I mean, my my sister Yetin is, is is right in terms of, I've generally been focused on achieving. Yeah. Now, yes, as part of the achievement, money was comes Quite out of it, yeah. but it's always been a drive to achieve, to be something that I wanted to be. Yeah. And funny enough for me, that was being an investment person, an investment oh, so you banker. Knew right from young. Yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of just said I wanted to be in financial services. And at that time, people thought, oh, would you be an accountant? Yeah. But I never really felt like I was caught up to be an accountant. Um, um, was there a big, like, banking system in Nigeria at the time, like, when you were a kid? Or I, I really don't know anything about um, this. I can't actually remember whether there was a banking system. Yeah. 
But I know, yeah, there were banks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, um, you wanted to be an investment banker, which is, it's, it's not even the type of banks that we see. Does that make any sense? Like how, how, how did that even... I just, I think I got into stuff like the the Economist and okay, Times. Yeah, yeah. So I just used to read stuff. Okay. And okay. I think I was fascinated by stuff like that. Got you, got yeah. you, got you, got you. Um, and then when you're a teenager now, I think it's 16, 17, you now moved back to London. Yeah. What was that like? It must have been a culture shock. You're used to being, you're used to being just black. Like you come to London, you're not, sorry, you're used to just being a normal person. You come to London, you know, black. It's a place that you were born in, but like you haven't lived in, I, I don't know if you used to come back, but you haven't lived in for, for, for 15 or, or however, like for a decade or so anyway. What, what was it like moving back to London? Where did you even live? Like, what was the... Uh, I, I know you lived with enough, me for a minute, but I, I can't remember what the... Funny anyway. enough, the strategy was to come here on holiday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I told my mom that I wanted to come and earn some pounds. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> really enough. the... That was really the, the idea. Yeah. My dad was a bit sceptical, but my mom sold it to him. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, and came in. Uh, the idea was one of... um my uh uh cousins Kaede's sister Toyin yeah um she had moved with her husband here yeah so the idea was to stay with them uh over the so was this before I'm I'm trying to do the maths in my head was this before my parents moved here yes oh okay I didn't yeah yeah yeah, yeah so I actually okay. came before your parents came I had no idea yeah yeah I did oh, okay, I okay. did so and so the so so after, so by the time I did the summer, um, I think I actually enjoyed being here because one, the heat, I, after a while, <laughs> I just, I just got tired of the heat in, in Nigeria. So actually having, having, uh, uh, I say colder weather yeah. was a good motivator. Um, and in boarding school, for some reason, which I guess I found out much later on in life. It wasn't the case. I used to suffer from malaria oh, yeah. every term. Yeah. And the best way to cure malaria was injection yeah. or a quinine-based medication. What's quinine? Quinine. Yeah, what's so chloroquine, oh, okay. quinine-based meds. Yeah. Um, now, unfortunately, I reacted to quinine-based meds. Okay. So the only option was... Injections, injections. and <laughs> I mean, it's just long. <laughs> just as a child, just having to go and drop your pants and have someone inject you, yeah, just yeah. wasn't, and it was quite painful. Yeah, actually. Yeah, um, so yeah, so I think the fact that I was going to be away from mosquitoes and the heat, yeah, was a good motivator. Um, and and look, you're you're young, you're doing new things. I wasn't living with my parents yeah. at the time as well, so that was another form of freedom. So, so yeah. How long so, were you with um, Antitoyan? I think I was there. So I came in eighty nine. Yeah. And I was probably there until ninety one. Okay. And so what were you doing? Just odd jobs? Like what was the? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So, so I came, and then I'm not sure how soon after Coyote came, but, um, but I came, and then, yeah, I just got into. I think I worked at. British Home Stores, okay. BHS in Walthamstow. Oh yeah. Um, where um, where was where were you living at the time? I was living in in Bow. What was Bow like? 
in the in the eighties. Uh, in eighty nine, I think 90s. I I remember there was like a nice park. Yeah. Uh, where I lived, um, then there was a bow. There was a market called Roman Road Market. Yeah, I know Roman Road. Where where I used to go and pick up some nice bargains. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I think it was just, it was an okay place. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then when did you, cause I, I know you went to uni and yeah. all of that was it, so obviously clearly that wasn't part of the plan initially. When you came yeah. Out, so that, so. that wasn't part of the plan. I think what happened was, um, I think I started to convince my mom that, Oh, you know, can I stay? Cause she had also come as well. Can I stay? Uh, because I just felt like, you know, um, there were more, but there was, there was more for me here. Mm. Um, and I guess even though I was quite focused and a smart kid, I, 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 I generally had a tendency to hang out with the wrong crowd. Okay. So, um, most of the time, my mom was more concerned about the yeah, fact that about. she didn't like the kind of people that I hung out with because they were troublemakers mm. and always got into trouble. What, as in so, like just guys from the area? As in, in well, no, in school. Yeah. Um, more so in school. Yeah. Uh, um, so I guess her, her thing was she wasn't necessarily <laughs> picture fully, it now as well. yeah. fully sold on to, but her view was, okay, at least if I'll be away from these from those people, guys, yeah, then then, got then I'm shielded to some yeah, extent. Yeah, okay. um, 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 so so I think she came on board yeah. relatively quick. Um, my dad need needed some convincing, mm-hmm. so I think she had to go back and 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 because I mean, it's so funny these days. You can call, you can yeah, tech, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can that WhatsApp. Simple, yeah. I mean, calling Nigeria in those days, I mean, <laughs> the British Telecom made a fortune on, on phone bills. Yeah. Uh, there were no mobiles yeah, in yeah, those yeah. days. Uh, so yeah. I think you're the first person I ever saw with a mobile <laughs> in my life. Um, so what, so then you went to, yeah. so then, how, you, how'd you end up in uni? And, yeah, and so I think um, I did A-levels, um, Again, I don't think I was as pe- prepared because I think Nigeria taught you how to. Um, Nigeria taught you how to store information. Yeah. Um, but here, you were not only required to put that information on paper; you were required to think think about, about it. it. Yeah. Make um, an argument with the so so I think. Trying to do A levels in one year was quite a challenge because yeah. I don't think um, I was prepared for the difference yeah, yeah. in the way the examiners looked at uh, uh, stuff like that. Uh, but when when I I did my A levels um, and then for 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 university, I th- I I went to Greenwich yeah Un- University. It was one of the universities that I just morphed from being a polytechnic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I went to Greenwich, uh, studied engineering and management, uh, struggled a bit on the engineering because with engineering, there's a lot of maths mm-hmm. and in my A-levels, I did more business and economics. So, okay. um, the maths was a bit of a challenge, but again, I think I kind of just got through, yeah, yeah. uh, but I enjoyed uni, 
because I had a car. I was living with Bookie. Uh, That's your sister. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, so I still remember having a twenty first birthday on the on in Surrey Keys on the water. Oh yeah, you know what's crazy? So <laughs> my guest probably not gonna care, but I, I I was in a musical in uni, um, and the director of that musical literally lives in the flat next door to. The um is what's it called Prin- Prin- what's Princess it? Court. Princess Court. That's yeah. it. On Literally in the same in the same block. Okay. But like a flat next door. Uh, okay. Um and then I because afterwards I went to Auntie Bookie's house and I was telling okay. her, and then she was telling me about your twenty first <laughs> birthday party. Yeah. Yeah 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 yeah. Oh, no. so, so 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 you were throwing parties back in the day as well. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Um, and so, obviously I know from. From young, you, Auntie Bookie again, and Uncle K. So just for those listening, Auntie Bookie's... So it goes my mum, Auntie Bookie, next, Uncle Gwengar, and then there's another brother. And then there's also Uncle K, who is my... Who's who's your cousin. My first cousin. Um, yeah, your first cousin. Well, he's grown up is, with yeah, us. Yeah, he's basically he like a brother. Like brother. And he's in between my mum and Auntie Bookie. Yeah. Um... And I know the three of you, again, on that entrepreneurial vibe, I, I don't know when you started, but you started investing in property. You bought some properties, flipped them. And so how, how did that all happen? Um, uh, I think, okay, so again, I think, so So Bookie, to be fair, has always been more the one that had the property vision. Yeah. Or, or started the property thing. Yeah. Um, because she used to be a financial advisor. When she came here. I and no and I think she was also a broker. I so, no <laughs> so, so I think that got her into what property was about. And so, yeah, so the opportunity, I think I just, funny enough, um, uh, we, we'd all kind of, because Kay was in Bristol, because uh, he had gone to, university there for his master's okay so for his first degree and then i think he did his master's there can't remember now and then i actually had moved to your parents place okay yeah in, uh, in, in collindale uh when i was doing my master's in and UCL. uh i in ucl and bookie was living in i think she had left soy keys i'm trying trying to just remember yeah. but but then we said, okay, look, how can we... Because now we're all separated. Yeah. And the idea was, okay, how can we just buy something so that that can be a place, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the opportunity to buy something in Soikis came about. Yeah. This this was in 96. Okay. Uh, 1996. So how old were you at the time? I was 20... I was about 24. Okay. Yeah. I'd just gotten, I think I was just about to get my first job. Okay. Uh, proper job. That proper I mean, job. Because, yeah. I mean, I'd come out of uni and, I mean, I don't know how it was for you guys, but I'd written tons of applications. Yeah. I, the joke was, oh, what, every letter that came, it was like, okay, thank you very much for whatever we've reviewed it, but sorry to say, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um. So it was quite a frustrating time. Yeah, I can imagine. As I in can trying, <laughs> trying to get a proper job. Yeah. Uh, but I th- I think I was lucky that I was able to do things 
around that time. So I actually worked in University of London Union okay, yeah. in, in the evenings. Then I did some charity work with Oxfam. And then I was working with some guy, some freelance guy who was into homes, doing stuff with homes anyway. Okay. In terms of gas, gas or fixing windows or stuff like okay, that. Okay, okay. So I was kind of juggling three or four things at the same time. Uh, uh, but at the same time, still looking for, for the first Proper job. job and yeah. then, uh, like I said, the opportunity came up to buy somewhere in Surrey Keys. Uh, I still I still remember it was ninety six, because the summer was when B- B- London, England hosted the European Championship, oh, yeah, yeah. and um, I think we got to the semi finals right around that time. Yeah, can't, I can't remember. I think so. But I still remember Gas Gas Collins won the goal. Yeah. Um, 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 I think we lost to the Germans as well. But yeah, so that was a great summer yeah, in yeah. terms of we bought a place, Surrey Docks, uh, on the waterfront. I got my first job. So what, the um, three of you put money together for, yes. towards a deposit? Or? Yeah, well, what we actually did, funny enough, was we actually had all taken, well, we had gotten different forms of cash. Yeah. Uh, I used most of my cash from, because when you, the government was doing this loan for postgraduates. Okay. Um, uh, so I got a loan from them. Yeah. Um, obviously I still had my student loan. Yeah. But I got this other loan, uh, which was to kind of help uh, you with a postgraduate. So I put that in. My sister and Cardiff put that in. We gave the money to my parents. They were doing some buying and selling, some trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, built up that capital. Mm-hmm. Got some of that capital back. And use that as a deposit got in, got in, for, got for the place in Syracuse. Got in, got in, got in. And then how did that... Yeah, well, and then... I, I just remember as a kid, I remember the coach house in Peckham. Yeah. I remember there's quite a few places around Syracuse. Just after a while, it ended up being quite... I mean, to this day, I don't even know. I've never really spoken to any of you about it, but I feel like there's quite a few different properties that you, st- um, that you still manage. And so, like, how did that all build up? And Yeah, so I think... I think Having bought the first one, mm. re- relatively young, um, you kind of felt, oh, well, if, if I can do it once, I can do it do again. It again yeah. And we started probably at the right time. Yeah. So 96. So by the time, so by 98, we bought another place, which was just next door. Yeah. Uh, to um, the Keys, uh, um, where we had in Surrey Keys. And then... There was now the opportunity to release capital from your property and then buy something else, yeah. right? Uh, because obviously be- between 96 and 98, I think the property had appre- appreciated. Yeah. Uh, so we remortgaged uh, the, the, the first place, bought the second place, yeah. and essentially used different ways of getting money out of the existing... Oh, yeah. It yeah, never we never sold. We just literally remortgaged yeah, and yeah. upped the mortgage. Yeah, or and then used took the money in, to took buy. out an equity release. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and bought bought somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge we probably had was at some point we just ran out of the ability to release capital because yeah. there was, there was only a finite amount. Um, but th- I think what really was exciting for us was the coach house. Yeah. 
That's the one in Peckham, right? That, yeah, that was in Peckham. But fantastic place. Sort of gate. We ended up building it as a gated place. It was inside. Yeah. Um, had, had full frontal glass windows. Um, um, was a small house, but um, had fantastic side gardens as well. Uh, back and front. Had his own driveway. Um, took us a bit of time to put it together. As in, we went through two builders. The yeah. first guy and his son. Uh, they just literally came in every day and wanted to be paid at the end of the, the day. <laughs> even though sometimes work wasn't being done. Yeah. But I think through doing that... You learn. And I think what I've come to realize is is that through all of this is that sometimes you need to do things a few times to get the right yeah. solution. Yeah. Because in doing that, we now came across a guy called Usman. That's it. Um, book, he still uses him. Right? Um, who over the years, Shout even to today, we yeah. still use him for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for work. Uh, because he was the one that helped us finish up the coach house. He was Got like him. our third builder. Uh, um, I was ready to do the work and and work with us, and yeah, we 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 completed it, and we sold it to a director of Winkworth, one of the estate agencies estate at the agency. time. Um, yeah, so so that was quite an interesting uh, so thing for us. You've, you've been flipping properties for for a long time now, since you were yeah since you were what mid twenties basically yeah yeah. And at, at the height, how many early. properties do you reckon? I think at the height of it, joint altogether, we probably had at the height we probably had about a dozen. Crazy. Yeah. What's it like now, being I don't know in your like thirties or late twenties, and you got dozens of properties dotted around you? I'm sure you're making rental income. Obviously, that's going to cover the mortgage and stuff. But I'm sure that must have felt some way like you you must have been quite proud of yourselves all three of you you're, you're young you're rich you're, well i don't know if you're rich but you're young you're, you're black rich. you're successful yeah and you've got a bunch of properties like it's just it's like a it's like a big thing what was it like uh i actually think funny enough yeah you kind of it's funny that when you when you're thinking of stuff yeah. you look forward to it but when you're in it yeah it kind of you're looking forward to something else. Something else, yeah. So, so you never really took the time to Yeah, so I think what was more challenging for me personally at that time was I was working because okay, so my first job was with a company called Sintegra, which was like a consultancy type company okay. owned by British Telecom. Okay. But I always wanted to work in the city. Yeah. So I left Sintegra to join Standard Bank. And then I was doing my accounting exams as well. Yeah. So I think the challenge for me was I was Working in quite a high-pressured environment, yeah. long hours, doing my accounting exams, and having to do coach house at the weekend. Yeah, so yeah, I, so I think, you know, um, and obviously still being young, going out <laughs> on Friday night life, yeah. and Saturday, and, you know, <laughs> being very tired. <laughs> so, so, so I think at some point, I actually told my mom, I think I'm going to quit my job. Yeah. Because I think it was holding me back. Yeah. Um, from, and from I felt that I could be doing more on the property side. Yeah. But because I had this very demanding, demanding job, job. Yeah. No, um, there was only so much. I mean, during the week you could only do so much, and at weekends as well. Um, but my mom said, "Okay, pass your accounting exams first, yeah. and then you can quit." 
uh, your job. I never did quit the job. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, there was, there was at that point where I felt that I could do a lot more on the property side. Yeah. But my job was, was kind of holding me back. Holding my back. 95 and then i'm not sure when exactly but at a certain point you decided you're going to move back to nigeria what what was the thought process behind that so again you've you've got from what i understand you've got a good job really good job you've done your accounting qualifications you're working the city it's what you kind of wanted to do you own a bunch of properties across london why is it now nigeria seems to be the place to go to when when by from the outside in you're somewhat on top of the world in London okay so again I I guess you know it's one of those things where I felt that I would never be as successful if I stayed in the UK mm. uh, and I looked around and I felt I I had uh, some Indian like an Indian friend in school, uh, in university. And I remember just watching the fact that not necessarily him, but people that he, like his family and his relatives, there was a big pull to move back to India. Yeah. Um, and I felt that why will, I mean, that was always a question in my head. Why will a successful person move back? to India at that time. And by, and by the time I kind of spoke to him a bit more, I, kind of thought, I felt that there was always this feeling that you could go home and be more successful. Mm. Mm. Um, um, so for me, going back to Nigeria was always in the plan. And I guess I guess you only ever left on holiday. So it wasn't Yeah, I only ever left on holiday. <laughs> and ended up staying here for uh, 14 years or 17 um <laughs> but 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 the, <laughs> but the thing was i i i kept in touch with some of my friends who because some of my friends just did uni here and went back yeah and i kept in touch with them and i always used to say oh what's happening obviously i used to go back on holiday i i remember taking you david and your sister for grandpa's 50 60 no this was earlier this was on holiday. I remember taking... So I, this is when I was a... Pro, that was the first time I went, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I hadn't been back. I remember going back in 93. Yeah. And I took you guys back in 95. Yeah. And then we all went back in 99 for, yeah. for, for Grandpa's 60th. Yeah. But all through the time, I'd always kept in touch with my friends and just... and But they always, the thing they always said was, you, you need to be back home. Yeah. Uh, that... It's difficult to explain what's going on, but you just need to be here, be be yeah. be back home. But I think you know, um, I I think I just decided that you know it was the right time. Yeah. Um, and I also had a girlfriend in Nigeria, so I think that okay. was some motivation as well. <laughs> but um, but I think. I, I just felt that it was the right time yeah. uh, uh, to go back. And, um, yeah, so, so I went back 2000 and end of 2003. So I left with, because Standard Bank owned, so Standard Bank is part of a South African, is a South African bank. Yeah. 
Um, I, but then they had a Nigerian Branch, yeah. uh, branch or subsidiary called Stanbic. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of moved uh, 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 back Niger. with Standard Bank to Nigeria for 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 a few years. Yeah. And what was that transition like? So obviously, again, you've born in London, moved to Nigeria, in Nigeria for a decade or so, then moved back to London in London for almost twenty years. Um, to the extent where I'm not sure, but London must have started feeling like home, and then you're back again in Nigeria and you're proper in the thick of things. Like, um, what what was that like? What was that experience like? Uh, again, I think, funny enough, I I I guess one. Even though I was in in London, I think to some extent, because I had quite a few friends mm. that we all we had all come back. We all hung, hung out together. So I kind of never really integrated because most of my friends were Nigerian mm-hmm. who had been, who had lived in Nigeria and come here to study. Mm-hmm. So um, there was always a, a feeling that we didn't necessarily belong mm-hmm. to some extent, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then going back to Nigeria, I think for the first year, I mean, it was just a party, literally. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean <laughs> you know, you just got back. I think stand up, uh, the company put me up in a guest house. I I had a car. Um, one of my other friends from the U.S. had just moved back as well. Yeah. I remember that both of us, even though we had just moved back, within a year, even people who were in Nigeria used to call us to find out what parties were going on because... <laughs> we were just all over the place, right? So for the first year, it was just it was just a party. It was just, I mean, because Nigeria has a big social, yeah, especially because I mean, crazy. <laughs> you, you you have many friends and yeah. you just hop from club to club on yeah. Friday. So I guess the work was less. Yeah, as the motivator at that point, but, it was just a nice social scene. But also, like Nigeria is one of those places that's it's very stressful. It's really, really stressful. Like, nothing works properly. Nothing gets built properly. Uh, people don't finish stuff. There's not a culture of maintenance. I mean, I love Nigeria, don't get me wrong, but it's, it genuinely is a stressful country. So after leaving that for so long, being in England where things run smoothly, you know, when people say they're going to be somewhere at a particular time, they're going to be there at a particular time, when you know you can just expect you can, you can almost predict how things are going to go because of the stability in yeah. in London. What's it now like moving back to Lagos and almost having to shift your mind back to this kind of I don't want to call it chaos, but just this <sighs> chaos. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I mean to to end. I think Niger, well Lagos. Yeah, I don't use the word Nigerian, but Lagos thrives on chaos. Literally. Um, um, but I think, you know, what I would say was, first of all, I just didn't turn up in Nigeria and say, you know, I think having gone back a few times, yeah, yeah. I realized certain things that were important. Hmm. Uh, one was to have electricity that we take for granted here, mm-hmm. right? um, which meant being in a service department where mm-hmm. uh, that was prov- provided. Um, the second thing was also being on the island, if you wanted to work in financial services, mm. most of the financial services were on the island. 
And living around there was important because if I lived where my parents lived, mm. it would have meant coming, coming into, into traffic. City, yeah. And the times people had to wake up crazy. was ridiculous. I mean, you'd have to leave your house at 5.30 to get to work. So there were certain things that I had at minimum yeah, to yeah. ensure that I wasn't totally leaving comfort mm. to an uncomfortable situation. I was essentially leaving comfort to a comfort chaotic yeah a, com- a comfort in in a bubble of comfort yes, in the chaos in the yeah. chaos so okay. so i think that initially provided i didn't feel that i was in a chaotic environment, environment yeah. yes certain things like certain expectations because it's funny i mean y- y- you know in in the uk you worked in the city I used to get to work relatively late compared to... I used to get to work about 8, 8.30. People, the traders, the fun guys started about 7. Mm. Uh, so there was always a long hours yeah. thing. Well, in fact, that I, 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 I remember occasionally coming to the bank in Nigeria and you, you come in probably about 8. And then if you came in earlier say about 7.30, you, you come across some people who are sleeping at their desk. And I didn't really understand that because oh, I didn't really understand the fact that people had to wake up at 4.30, leave their to house get, at yeah. 5.30 to come into the office. Uh, but then I think that affected productivity. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can imagine somebody who's left the house at 4.30, woken up at 4.30, got on the road at 5.30, hit work maybe about 6.30, um, and then going home has the, the same, same traffic. Hassle, yeah. uh, um, so they're getting very little sleep. So yeah. I, I, I think I quickly realized that the expectations of people's outputs wasn't so what I was used to. Mm. Um, so what I really had to just do is work with because obviously, I, I, I kind of moved back to help them roll out their corporate finance function. Okay. And what I needed to do was get the guys that are around me yeah. to understand the importance of what we were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really had to engage with them yeah. socially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because obviously, I was the guy from London. I was about to say, so you, there was always, Jando, yeah, there us? was always the mindset. Oh, you, you know, he's from London. Doesn't know how things are done here. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. He looks down on us, etc. Yeah, etc. So, I had to really make an effort, especially the guys in in our credit, because I mean, if if you're a banker or you whatever, you, you know that the credit guys are critical because you can have all the ideas as a banker. Yeah. on deals but if you, if it doesn't get credit approval yeah it doesn't it's go anywhere yeah. so i literally there were two credit guys and i re- literally got very close to them to ensure that uh a lot of the transactions that we wanted to do kind of got through mm. um, um so yeah i mean i was we started bank for about 15 months um but it, it was positive because i think we managed to build a a department that really wasn't in a lot before. Most mm. of the stuff was done out of South Africa mm. into a department where 
where we're able to actually get approvals for our own deals. Mm-hmm. Even though we still had to go to credit in South Africa, but the back yeah. of us doing it. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like, yeah, I'd bought in something, something yeah, that was missing. Well. And then where did it go from there, as in career-wise? Uh, I, th- I think... And why did you decide to leave them? I guess so, so there were two things. One, regulatory-wise, the bank... The CBN, which is the Central Bank of Nigeria, decided that it wanted a bigger bank. So when I moved back, there were about maybe 100 banks mm-hmm. of different capital uh, in terms of the, the, their, 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 their size. And I think the CBN felt that there was a systematic risk mm-hmm. in smaller banks falling over. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they came up with it. But the current governor of the CBN said all banks have to have 100 million pounds of capital. Pounds? Yes. At the time, that was probably about 150 million to... No, it could, it could almost be probably about 180, because I think the dollar, the pound was, at that point, was about 182. Um, and so you had... <laughs> you had because banking was a way where people just got in and they used it as a platform to, to get funds and do FX. And mm-hmm. Look, what, what I always say is that bankers will always look for ways to make money. Yeah. Pop, so pop, if the system allows them, as long exactly. as it's legal, they'll yeah. find Different a way to, to, to do that. So you find that there were a lot of banks, but the government felt that, one, there was a systematic risk, but secondly... They were not doing proper banking. They were doing FX trading, right, okay. uh, et cetera. So they set up this huge capital base. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you can imagine suddenly if, if you're a bank that, say, maybe you have a capital base of, of, of $5 million mm-hmm. uh, dollars, I suddenly have to get to a capital base of $180 million. Yeah. You it's, know, it's 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 a wrap. It just becomes a here. There was a lo- a, there was a lot of pushback by the banking institutions to say, "Oh, we don't need it." Uh, some of the merchant banks said, "We're merchant banks. We don't need to be." But the governor was insistent. Mm-hmm. So what you had was a lot of mergers and acquisitions yeah, that, imagine, that, yeah. that 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 happened. At the time, Stambic was a. I'll call it like an outpost. Really, really, there were maybe eight branches yeah and their idea was maybe their capital base was about five million dollars okay they just couldn't understand. so there was a lot of uncertainty as to yeah. what they were going to do etc they now decided that they wanted to buy one of the larger banks because they felt that for them to put in uh 180 million dollars they needed to ensure that they had the footprint from day yeah, one so not so not they wanted not, to have the infrastructure yeah basically. Uh, but again, I just felt, so I started to think what was next. Yeah. I hadn't found it, but I said, but in trying to do business development, I'd looked at developing relationships with private equity firms. Yeah. Cause I felt that Standard Bank being an international bank per se, would feel more comfortable lending to a company that a private equity firm has been an investor in because. Great. They will have better just, corporate just governance. Audience, I know what, but just for the audience, what okay. exactly is a private equity firm? Okay, so 
again, I, so what happens is private equity generally have funds that they manage and they manage them for about 10 to 12 years, at which point they get capital from large institutions and high net worth individuals and they return the capital to them plus profit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the way they make their money is they buy companies, turn them around and, then, and sell them at a higher price yeah. than, than they entered in. Yeah. Um, but part of what they do, apart from putting in strategy and with uh, being on the board, is also putting better corporate governance. Yeah. Uh, uh, also get them to be a bit more, to think a bit more about environmental, social uh, things, ESG, because yeah. those things are taken for granted. So, for yeah. example, most of the Sorry, businesses... Uncle, keep talking, but someone's decided to have a party outside. <laughs> so I'm going to close the windows and put on the fan. But yeah, keep talking. Okay. So, so most of the, the businesses uh, are family-owned or or at least uh, owned by entrepreneurs. And so there's a strong figure and there's not necessarily like a team around them. So obviously part, part of what you, you generally look to do as a private equity firm is one, yes, you're backing an individual, uh, uh, but you're also backing a team. So you put in structures to ensure that, you know, uh, uh, there's a functioning company not yeah. just one individual. What, not one passionate. Yeah. Um, but you're still backing that passionate person yeah. because that's the person that's driving the vision. Yeah, but you're but just you're, helping you also to want to a... also help him grow his vision yeah, yeah, yeah. by having a team around him that yeah. can ex- ex- execute. And I felt that if Standard Bank being quite a conservative lender to Nigerian companies, yeah. if we could target companies that, that were backed by, were backed by private equity firms, makes sense. we had really better chance. The infrastructure. Yes. Whereby, of, you know, of getting approval got for, from our credit. Got you, got you, got so you. the MDA said, yeah, I should run with it. So we approached a number of private equity firms at the time who were operating there. One of them was a company called Actis. Actis had a sister company called Aureus Capital. And I engaged with the guy from Aureus and we just kind of struck it and he, he eventually said, oh, why don't I come and join them that they're, they're a small team they've just raised some money because Aureus and Actis came out from the CDC which is a UK Commonwealth Development Corporation oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a UK based uh, government agency mm-hmm. that invests primarily in in emerging markets mm-hmm. um, and Actis and Aureus were funds that the CDC that had come out from the CDC um, yeah so I met, his name was Ravi. He had been in the UK as well. He had moved back. We we struck on. And yeah, so I went to work with Aureus in private equity. Got you. Got you, got you. Um, and then I guess, just in general, uh, what I'm curious, a lot of the money then that private equity firms are using to invest, um, also in terms of what you do now as well, is that is that local money? Is that foreign money? Um, how easy or difficult is it to raise funds um, in 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 that market? Uh, yeah, no. So again, I think traditionally the money 
and even today the money most of the money still comes from the US from the UK Europe and the US and are these Nigerians here or are these are these diasporans basically or are these UK investors like English people or yeah so institutional investors originally so if you take Actis for example Actis is probably one of the largest emerging market investors yeah um they're UK based, but they have offices, I think, in yeah. Nigeria, in South Africa, in they, Kenya. They, they were one of my clients when I used to do uh, okay. So, yeah. so, but I think what happened was out of that sort of um, those private equity managers that were predominantly foreign, mm-hmm. a lot of them recruited Africans as well. Mm-hmm. And some of those Africans now, after spending a number of years with them, mm-hmm. decided to go and raise their own funds. Got you. Um, so I think the one of the largest, actually one of the largest investors in Nigeria, so in Africa right now, is a company called Helios. And they're two Nigerians. Okay. Um, they used to work with a U.S. private equity fund. Um, and I think they now decided to go out on on their own yeah um, um and i think again i think using them as an example i think what what you find is that and what i've found is one of the drivers that i've had is seeing other people of my type succeeding mm-hmm. so i think that's been a big driver so mm-hmm. i think when helios did this that kind of spurred a number of indigenous managers to say, mm-hmm. okay, look, if we these can guys do can do it, why can't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I mean, it's still quite a selective market. It's tough uh, to raise because you're, you're, you're essentially having to go out to investors in the US who, a lot of them, not have to also convince. So, so even if you come across guys who've been to Africa... Because they are, they all think of Africa as one place, one huge country. So you need yeah. to tell them that Africa is fifty-one <laughs> countries, yeah. where we are very different, <laughs> very diverse, and very diverse, speak different languages. So I think, but I think people that have been investing in the in the region understand it, mm-hmm. but it's it's still an educational process. Mm-hmm. I think Britain understands Africa more because, I guess, the whole. Commonwealth yeah. uh, structure uh, uh, has supported that 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 under, understanding, and Europe to some extent understands Africa better than the US. The US generally, uh, you really have to spend a lot of time educating investors yeah, out imagine. there on on on. And how much on, does on obviously Africa. Nigeria's a very is known to be a very corrupt country. Things aren't very transparent at all. Um, how much of that is a barrier to raising funds? And if if Nigeria wasn't so quote-unquote corrupt or certainly didn't have such a reputation for being corrupt, or rather, how much do you think that reputation damages the prospects of going out there and raising funds and finance to do big big capital projects that could improve the well-being of Nigerians? Yeah, yeah I, I guess... So, I think there are two things on that. I think one... Nigeria is corrupt. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but again, I think um, there was one powerful slide I believe the Helios guys had at, at one time, and 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 I I don't really know the exact detail, but I remember them showing um, the almost like a transparency index. <laughs> Funny enough, the co I was supposed to have someone here as a co-host today. Okay. Uh, she couldn't make it last minute, but she actually works for a company called Transparency International. Okay. Yeah, so, so I think they they've done some research, and that actually showed that countries like China, Russia, were also significantly corrupt. Yeah. Right? And and I think the point was. Yes, we are operating in a culture where there's corruption, mm -hmm. but we, with us, the way we operate, we would not participate in corruption. Mm -hmm. We would ensure that companies that we invest in, if they were doing stuff like that, if we can't change that, we wouldn't invest in them. Yeah. Uh, and I think. But how easy is that and to I communicate think, to the other side then? And I think, so, so I think what is, I think data helps because yeah. I think what happens is when you're the first and you're trying to explain it to somebody and they just see, because especially Nigeria, for example, I mean, I, I, I remember on my trips to the US, I've come across different people. And when you talk about Nigeria, jokingly or subconsciously, I don't know whether they really think. They they say oh yeah that they received the they received that email so they've all received this email says, yeah. from some guy who says he's a prince yeah. and he has a pot of money somewhere <laughs> and he needs, he needs you to, to give him some something so some can... money and quite a few people have been fleeced right yeah. uh, through those scams um, so you so so you automatically have somebody that his yeah. view of what he's seen about Nigeria is this scammers, yeah. Is is this scammers. And you now have to convince him <laughs> to give you money. Yeah. Uh and I think about the irony. And, and, the, and the thing about the, irony. The, the thing about private equ equity is that you actually give a, a manager money. And yes, you're part of you have structures and you review it and but in reality, it's almost like you give them money and then they can invest it. Yeah. And you really have limited say on yeah, what, what they're invested, they're investing in. in. Yes, you have structures that means that they've gone through a process yeah. that ensures that the output yeah, is a yeah, good yeah. decision. So, but, but once they've given you the money, but once you've given them, yeah. So, again, I think what you find is that there's a lot of due diligence. Yeah. Uh, so, you find that, that people who get money before they do so, a lot of the guys who are the investors have done detailed due diligence on you. Mm. Um, you'll be surprised the data that they've picked up mm. going back to what you were doing when you were in school. Um, yeah, so so they do a detail. So they, oh, they actually crazy. get specialists yeah. who, have, who do this security and data yeah, yeah, yeah. Check, research yeah, to do a lot of work. Um, uh, on on their on their manager, and then they also actually take references. Okay, that makes sense. So they go around to where you've worked before, or with people in the industry who they know. So they really use their network to get understanding yeah. of who exactly is this guy. Yeah, you know, 
And I think, but I think that's a general good practice. Yeah, of course. I, 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 I always tell people that one of the reasons why we are close to the market in Nigeria is because we know things. I mean, we know who to do business with. You yeah. know, you, you're almost two phone calls away from everybody. Yeah, in terms of getting to know who this person is. Yeah, yeah, So, yes, he may come across as somebody that is legitimate, but if there's an issue with a person, if you make two, three phone calls, you will find out. So those are the kind of things that I think is quite important yeah. as, a, as, as an investor, really, on the ground. Um, and so, Vintra, I know you work and you invest across West Africa. Um, not just in Nigeria specifically. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the biggest market? Well, I guess Nigeria is the biggest market, but like, what's the best place to work in? Aside from Nigeria, what's the biggest market? Where do you see the future uh, coming out of West Africa in general? Is it, is it all very much Nigeria-focused? Uh, again, I, I, I guess the, the interesting thing about where we are right now, I think I alluded to it is technology mm. um, because I think well at least in my time Nigeria has gone through certain booms so we had the oil boom yeah. then we had the banking boom then we had the telecoms boom yeah. um, and, and now we're almost boom. having like the tech boom um, but the bit about technology it suddenly reduces borders yeah, definitely. Uh, because traditionally, uh, Africa, as I say, we have 51 countries, or even 52, and the borders are very difficult. Uh, so, I mean, driving from Nigeria to uh, Ghana, for example, I've forgotten how many checkpoints you probably go through yeah. uh, to do so. The roads are not fantastic. Uh, so... Intertrade between Africa has never been a big thing, and I think mm. there's there's a recent policy or recent agreement that's supposed to facilitate uh, almost similar to the free trade that Europe, Europe has. has. Shout um, out to Brexit. <laughs> um, so, I I I I guess there's that that is being created for. Africa. I heard there was like a currency. I just remembered this, like an Echo West currency. There's a, well, Francophone West Africa. Yeah, they've already got a. They already currency, have yeah. a currency. Yeah. because uh, I think Francophone like fr- Africa, like Francophone West Africa, and Francophone Central Africa. Yeah. The French have a very had always have a very strong. Yeah, they still do. Yeah, uh, they still do. Say and yeah. influence. And I think they they've had like a single currency, which is yeah. pegged to the euro. Uh, um, uh, so they've always had more of a intertrade. Yeah. Um, um, but again, I think also their economies are relatively small. Um, I generally use the example that Lagos uh, has, depending on which statistics you you use, has a GDP of about a hundred plus billion which mm-hmm. is probably the fifth largest GDP in sub-Saharan Africa. 
So it's larger than Kenya, it's larger than Ghana. Lagos has has an economy that's larger than Kenya. Yeah, if Lagos was a country on its own, it would be the fifth largest economy. The fifth largest economy in sub Saharan Africa. I I had no idea. Um, That's insane. So, so, (laughs) so, having lived all my time that I've been in Nigeria and Lagos, I see that size, that scope. but no, I mean the, the 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 so coming back to your question, I think tech technology would mean that one there's a lot more that can be done mm. across borders, and I see that as the next wave mm-hmm. uh, in terms of one where the talent is going, mm. uh, and two where also uh, 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 there's significant potential for Africa because. If you think about it, what technology has helped us do, it has leaped. If you just look at the mobile phone, whereas in the UK, at some point, everybody had a landline. Mm. In, in Nigeria, People getting a landline money. was for the rich. Yeah. I mean, you had to pay different people, the utility to come and fix it. There were only a certain amount of lines available. Um, but with a cell phone, everybody has a cell phone, right? Mm. And what you find is that what technology has helped us do is leap certain things that Europe has gone through. Yeah. That we're not having to go through exactly the slow pace of building cables. In which they had to do, yeah. um, it, 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 it almost comes to what we, in power, for example, um, this whole uh, distributed power. The reality is that it's, it's going to cost a lot of money to connect everybody yeah. in Nigeria, say, to the grid. But the reality is that it's not economic yeah. to connect everybody because the investment that's required to take power to outposts, to yeah. the These villages, when you look at the, the economic return, the private sector wouldn't necessarily do that yeah, because okay. the it's cost not, benefit worthwhile, yeah. doesn't make sense. The government doesn't have the money doesn't to do that. So it's just not feasible. So what you're, you're going to have is distributed power, and that's where you have a lot of these new people selling solar kits, yeah, yeah. Uh, where essentially each household can just have a solar kit and then power yeah. different things. I still have a challenge as to how, whether that's a long-term solution, solution for yeah. the city Yes, you can work in the villages, in the villages but yeah, in the but city not, uh, where people really need power for industrial uses. But so, again, but I think I've been to Cote d'Ivoire. I think one, one of the benefits of what we do is actually being able to travel into Africa. Yeah. So Ghana is very nice yeah. in terms of Ghana is... Is Nigeria without the chaos? Yeah, that's exactly what Zoe said. It's, my sister, it's, and she went. That's what everyone says. You, you, you arrive at the airport, totally different. Have you seen to, the new terminal? I haven't seen the. Ah, uh, I saw a picture of it, and it just upset me. What Nigeria is like? <laughs> Honestly, sorry, go on. No, but but so so Ghana is a beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I guess, but as a Niger- as a Lagosian, it's a bit slow. Yeah. After yeah, a while, yeah. you're you're like, okay, 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 well. well <laughs> what's going on here? Um, Cote d'Ivoire, I've been... Because uh, the African Development Bank is now there, so we've been there a few times. 
mm-hmm. and we've had some conferences there. It's a, it's it's a beautiful place. Mm. And the interesting thing was, it's actually gone through a long civil war. And yeah. one thing I always asked was, if it hadn't gone through that civil war, how it would where have would it been be a much today? more yeah. Where would it be well, today? I mean, hindsight. But yeah, um, uh, uh, Kenya is a nice place. Yeah. Um, I I I I guess. Uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda. I guess to some extent they're nice. Yeah. Because also. They, their heat isn't as hot as oh is it us in, in West. West Africa got you uh, so the heat and then their nights get cooler yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, um, so uh, which is probably why you find a lot more Europeans there yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, but no I mean I've, we've been to Ethiopia been to, I've been to Addis now I think about two three times okay uh, you'll be surprised I mean because if you, if you don't travel around Africa, you just yeah. think about places and you're not really sure what to yeah, expect. Yeah, yeah. But um, most of the airports are better than Nigeria. That Lagos airport is dreadful. And then the people are just more friendly. Yeah. But I think what happens, the, one of the things though is everybody knows Nigerians. Yep. Now, and you so by a lot of them have interacted through Nigerians through Nollywood. Yeah. So <laughs> that's hilarious. You be you be shocked when you travel around Africa. Yeah. If you say you're Nigerian, the first thing people say is their wife, their mom, Watches their Nollywood. sister love Nigerian movies. So we have a huge export of, of, yeah. of, of Nigerian movies. Of In addition really. to that now we now have the music scene. Yeah. So some of the big artists, David O. Whiskid. Yeah. And some of the larger artists have sort, 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 sort of. So, yeah, so a lot of people have come across Nigeria in one way. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, um, but I think, I, I still think in terms of pockets, uh, so West Africa, I think, yeah, Ghana is a nice place, but Nigeria yeah. is the big market. So Lagos, yeah. uh, um, in East Africa, Kenya, yeah. Uh, Southern Africa, obviously South, South Africa. Africa yeah. Um, so yeah, because North Africa, it's almost it's, it's, almost it's slightly diff- different. Yeah, it's different. I w- I was in Marrakech. Um, I was in Marrakech, and to be honest, I could have been in Europe. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, very different. They're much closer to Europe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I would definitely say that, but Southern Africa, those yeah, those three Africa, hubs, yeah, yeah are pretty much the key hubs. Um, well, I'm conscious of time, so I don't want to take too much more of your time. But um, I guess, what's what's next for you? Like, what, what what's 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 next in, on your on your path um, over the next ten years? Where do you see yourself going? What do you see yourself doing? Uh, I guess. I mean, I I still think, like I was saying, I think the thing about growing is when you achieve what it is that was such a huge target mm. because you set yourself another target, target yeah. you're, it's nice yeah you but soak it up next, yeah. but it's okay <laughs> I can definitely relate um, I'm still next moving one. forward yeah. so so I think you know literally I think but I think one of the things that we're keen on at Argentile 
is to actually create a legacy that is beyond us. Yeah. Um, uh, there are four of us who are partners. Uh, three of us have spent most of our years out of the country. Okay. Um, and I think one of the things that we, we're keen on doing is, because what we've always said is one of the challenges with Nigerian businesses is the main sponsor dies and the business dies. Yeah. I um, that so one of the things that we're keen on doing is if having a legacy. So having a generation who are going to take over yeah. from us. Um, so that's critical for us. Also, I think because we've all worked abroad, I mean, my partners spend most of their... Two of my partners actually spend most of their time in the UK. Huh. Um, um, literally, I mean, I think one of my partners this year has probably spent one month in Nigeria. In total. Yeah. 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 Uh, because a lot of the meetings, a, a lot of yeah. the money, a lot of stuff is here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, um, and his kids are also here as well. So okay. for him, it just makes sense to, yeah. to, 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 to spend more of his time here. Yeah. Um, so, I guess on the on the business side, yeah, that's critical. As in, one uh, have a company called Argentil beyond what it is today. Mm. Uh, we we have a London office as well, which is a different group of guys okay. uh, uh, who are not non Nigerian. Okay. And the idea is to use that as well as a platform. So they're like a sales office, or no? They're 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 an oil and gas focused office. Okay. But uh, they're financial guys who we've worked with yeah. over the years. Um, but obviously, I mean, they're born. Well, one is Dutch actually. The other guy, I think, his original parents are from. Uh, Pakistan, but okay, they're yeah. he's yeah, he's 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 UK. I mean, he yeah, was in Manchester, British, yeah. lives here, etc. Um, uh, so I think for us, that's one of the key things that we want to do yeah. is to institutionalize Argentina yeah. uh, um, over time. And then you know, personally, I think I'm going to do a lot more on property because okay, property is one of those yeah. funny things. Is that um, and you're still in property now, right? Yes. In, in I mean, I still miss it. Yeah. Um, and I'm still quite fascinated when I come into a place and I see different things. I kind of retain that in my head yeah, because yeah. one of the things that we did well when we're here was look at things that were forward-looking. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the renovations that we did were things that obviously now became standard. So like yeah. glass bowl sinks. I I remember my sister and I had to order a glass bowl sink from Germany. Yeah. Y you know. Because it just wasn't uh, thing, yeah. because it just wasn't available yeah, yeah, it just wasn't um, thing, yeah. at at the time. So so I still have a passion for it and for whatever reason, not my but Argentina has a property team that actually does property. Yeah. Um that just does only property. Yeah. And it comes under our asset management. Yeah. Really and I kind of hate that. Yeah. So, okay, again, I'm being sucked into that. Yeah. Um, but, again, I think that I'm going to do uh, as well. Yeah. Um, and then I think 
I mean, my wife and I like to travel. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, as I get older, I'm going to do a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, hopefully, there will be new places for us to, to, yeah. to visit. Yeah, into quite a few, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just checking your Instagram <laughs> Um, living life <laughs> <laughs> so no no I don't really what, what I think is that I think a lot of people become successful and don't enjoy themselves yeah and the last thing you want to do is look back and say oh you know uh, because I keep telling some or I keep saying that I don't know about what anybody feels like when they're about to die because obviously I mean yeah. I won't face but I don't believe that if you have a tragedy or if, or if something happens you're going to be thinking about the fact yeah. that you didn't drive a Ferrari yeah. or if you have a Ferrari you're going to miss the Ferrari yeah. I would think you will think more about the relationships yeah Either what you've enjoyed, so memories that you've enjoyed with people, with family, with friends. Yeah. I think so. For me, spending my money on those is actually more important. Yeah. Yes, I do like to the nice things as well, yeah. but I I think so. That's sad. why vacations, holidays, traveling yeah. is quite a good thing because yeah. uh, visiting places with people that you then remember. Yeah. And have those mem memories is quite critical yeah uh, or it's quite important for me anyway uh um and then i think where i also want to spend a lot of my time on is not not necessarily charity because i think charity is just huge yeah but giving back in a way where because like i said I've met different people along the way yeah. and each of them without necessarily knowing have formed an impression and has given me that drive yeah. to succeed. Yeah. And I think the more successful people can provide younger people who are looking to grow uh, that beacon that, ah, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, there's this guy that I met and yeah, he's a yeah. successful person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just gives you that drive that even yeah. when, like I said, I mean, I can't remember how many, my son and I used to joke, how many rejections I had for my first job. When yeah. you get all those rejections, yeah, when you get yeah. all the, when you're trying to raise money or if you have an idea and you don't get it the first time, second, the fourth time, you still understand that there's a path to getting it because... Yeah. Somebody you've come across has been through it. And to be honest, that's, that's the whole you know. purpose of this podcast in terms of... And that's why the questions are qu quite personal, just asking people about their lives, is this kind of idea that you make, you make people... You make successful people very I, uh, easily to, easy to identify with. Um, I think there's a kind of tendency to kind of see a Bill Gates or or whoever, I'm just using him arbitrarily, but whoever's successful and kind of think, you know, it's those type of people over there and almost forget the kind of no normalcy and humanity of, of people, if yeah. that makes any sense. And it's just been interesting talking to all sorts of different people so far um, who've got to the positions they are. And again, it's just for, for us as millennials, it's just listening, hearing your stories and mm. kind of, 
there as beacons of things to aspire to. Um, so on that note, it's, sorry, firstly, it's, it's about 22, so I'm conscious that, that, that you need to leave soon. But I'm just going to bang out three questions quickly. Okay. And they're all kind of to do with what we're talking about for, for millennials. Um, so there's two questions we ask all of our guests. And the last question I wanted to ask you particularly, given um, your experience, I guess. Yeah. So the first question is, if you could go back to 25... I'm just picking 25 as an arbitrary age for millennials. What advice would you give yourself? The next question is, what advice would you give millennials in general? Just the millennials listening. And then the third question is, uh, particularly as someone that moved back to Nigeria, um, I know that's something that a lot of millennials are looking towards, whether it's Africa or the Caribbean. It's just kind of they're seeing opportunities abroad and they're thinking... Maybe this is something that I might look into. As someone who's obviously made a success out of yourself, having moved back, what would what would your advice be for for those particular people? Okay. So again, just a recap: if you could go back to, to being twenty five, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah. Advice for millennials and advice for millennials wanting to move. Okay. Home? Yeah, I I guess if I could rewind the clock, I would say think bigger, because. Mm. What I've come to realize is everything you've I've dreamt about, I've achieved. Mm. Well, no, don't have you. Everything I've achieved, I've dreamt about, I've visioned it. Mm. So I think if you can vision Even bigger. a bigger scope, yeah. the chance of you achieving it is higher. Yeah. yeah um, so if I, because I think society, family, parents, Everybody's trying to protect you, yeah, and doesn't want you to fall, yeah. So, the advice is done out of spite, yeah. or is just to protect you, yeah. But in doing so, they're limiting potentially yeah. where you can achieve, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that sometimes, if you can break away from that, yeah, I it, can definitely it gives you much wider things yeah, that you can... Yeah. You, so that would be the one thing um, um, that I would definitely uh, dream bigger, yeah. you know. Um, um, in terms of advice for m- m- millennials, I think, you know, um, I think you are... There's... Again, I'm sure everybody says that, but I think... Th- they are the most exciting time, but the most challenging time. Mm. Exciting as in generationally, uh, you know, the whole fourth generation, uh, fourth industrial revolution, mm. technology. So there's a lot that happening. is happening at this time. And, but I think... What that's gonna, what that means for millennials is, it puts a lot more pressure mm. on them being flexible. Mm. So, for example, in my time, I said, okay, I wanted to become an investment banker. City. Now, I suspect that because of technology, investment banks, the way investment banking is done, is changing. Mm. So the way business is done is changing. Mm. So what that means is that as as a millennial, you have to have that flexibility. You can't mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. 
I mean, I'm 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 sure back in my dad's days, it was oh I wanted to. I'm sure he worked for a factory. If he if he was here, he wasn't here. But if he was here, he worked for a factory, or or even with him, he worked for where he worked for the. He started his job and he ended yeah. his job, right? Yeah. So he worked there for however many, many years. Yeah, however many years until he retired. But I think with Milena, because everything is just so accessible information, yeah. everything is just so quick, that that flexibility of being able to almost do many things at the same time mm. is, 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 is going to become a skill that's going to differentiate those who are successful From. and those who just believe that everything is just happening too much and yeah. they're just overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think the skill set of a millennial, and again, I think it's evident because if you go into a restaurant, just, you know, my wife and I like to go out and eat, you know, if you go into a restaurant, just look around you on tables. We always joke about it. You probably find that people with kids, the kids are on their phones. Yeah. And my wife and I are thinking, why, 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 why do you come for, for dinner? For dinner. So, <laughs> so, 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 so the point is because we are so hooked onto our phones, everything is done with our phones digitally. It just means millennials are so plugged in. Yeah. And there's so much that's happening. Yeah. That... You just have to be flexible, disciplined, and strategic. Uh, yeah. um, um, uh, but like I say, I think it's a, it's a very exciting time because it gives a lot of what people who have been felt they've been boxed in, mm-hmm. it gives that flexibility. To, you know, like I was saying, uh, my partner... We have a business in Nigeria, but we spend a, a lot of time here. Mm. Yes, there's a human... Not being around, sometimes you miss that human connection. But in terms of executing of work... You can still do it. Um, you can still do it from... from, from across from the world. A- anywhere you are. He's uh, uh, pro- probably more accessible than even you in Nigeria. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Etc. Because he gets the email first. Yeah, before yeah. he <laughs> gets to you. So... So 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 the point is that there's 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 definitely a lot um, of excitement. But then again, I think I touched on something that I think is also important. I think there's also a need to unplug. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> which I'm not sure how billionaires are going to manage it yeah. because they've grown up with that. Yeah. Is is how do you just unplug and connect? Uh, the other day we were watching BBC and BBC was saying, oh, you, you know. Um, that for the first time in the UK, I think more there's more communication from data than through voice. Crazy. So people are speaking yeah. less. Speaking less and people are communicating more through, more through data and tech. Now, it's good. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're still humans. Yeah? You're still human. <laughs> there still need for that human connection. Yeah. So, 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 so I definitely think that you know, while there's a big plus, the social dimension of that is. Is something that strategically people have to think. Okay, I need to actually. Again, it's like with my son. I mean, uh, my daughter less for my son. Yeah. If you leave him with his, uh, with his games and TV and 
his iPad, he can just totally switch off. Yeah. So we have to physically make that effort yeah. to ensure that it's not something that he's just plugged into. Yeah. Uh, um, um, now, the last bit in terms of advice, again, I, I guess... I guess the point is, I think our biggest talent um, for Africans, uh, people in the Caribbean, people of Asia, I think our biggest talent is our human capital. Mm. And rightly or wrongly, the biggest pool of that talent is in the Western democracies. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a country we have to find a way to pull that talent in mm-hmm. um, we don't do it anywhere we, we don't do I'm not I can't point to any country that maybe does I mean I don't know how China and India do it but, mm-hmm. um, in, in Africa I can't point to any country that does it at least 50% of where they should be doing. Yeah. Uh, because there's a... Apart from the fact that people have been... So I guess one of the benefits of actually traveling and just doing what we do is you come across different people who are successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if you look at it, if you go to any top business school, top firm, top university, top, you find people of African descent. Hundred percent. And you find them that they're doing, I mean, very well, yep. if not the best, yep. top quarter. Um, and these guys leave and then go into careers, success. So we are, the, 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 the continent needs to benefit from that. Mm-hmm. It's not just them coming on holiday and sending capital, sending money home. Money, yeah, no. It's that best practice. Yeah. The fact that you have a culture of excellence. You know what it is to achieve in an environment where I would say stacked against you, but you yeah. have to work harder than, than than your counterparts. Than your counterpart to achieve, and I think having successfully achieved that in the continent, we don't get that benefit. Yeah, um, we almost make it difficult for these people to come back. Hundred percent. I mean, you you, you don't 100%. you don't have the infrastructure. Yeah. You don't have the welcome. So you just don't have. And yes, I think we have a minister of diaspora. Some lady, oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, or or is the minister that is meant to be in charge? Of, but yes, you can come here. You can, but you know, really, you need to create the environment yeah. for people. You need to, someone should be able to come to Nigeria and set up a business in twenty four hours. Yeah, the reason why Rwanda has a buzz around it is because, rightly or wrongly, they've decided that we don't have much natural resources, but we're just going to create an environment where it's easy to do business, it's easy technology-wise, we're going to train people, we're going to make it welcoming for foreigners. Yeah. 
Now, in doing that, I don't know whether they have a large diaspora uh, uh, group, but I, I can just imagine. Back to Rwanda, but yeah. I can just imagine if Nigeria took what Rwanda has been doing the last ten years, mm. how much we would attract talent. That's um, so, but in spite of that, I I still think you know. My advice is that. You know, I I. I, I use this analogy because it it's I'm I'm not sure if you can connect to it. So there was a there was a lawyer, I can't remember his name. Thankfully, because I don't want to go on the record. <laughs> but I think your he came for dinner your dad's when we were in Collindale. Okay. Um, and very successful lawyer. I think he had worked in the city as well. Um, as an investment banker, but he had gone into law or something like that. Um, and I remember him saying that, you know, after a while, in, in order to keep saying and connect, he, he, he set up like a football, like a weekend football team mm-hmm. where people of African, Nigerians, Africans could come play football. Uh, because he felt that he was working in an environment that he wasn't fully integrated in, mm-hmm. right? Now, again, I guess with millennials who were born here, got up here, it's slightly different because this is the environment, right? Mm. Um, but I think, you know, the reality is that the opportunity for you guys to excel mm. and to transform is higher mm. and to see your impact, mm. you know, um, so what you guys can, the, 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 the impact you guys can have in the con on the continent, on the Caribbean, if you look at it, if you look at the Delta, if you, if you do that thing thing here in the UK, the impact maybe is times one. If you do that in the continent can be times 10 mm. because just the fact that it's new, it's different, it's pushing the barriers, mm. um, is something that, you know, is quite important. Uh, and I think that you would get, I think you will get a lot of pleasure from seeing that impact more even than the financial rewards mm. of, Yes, the financial rewards are, I mean, always important. But I think just seeing that impact that you make on people, mm. the fact that you can go back to Nigeria, you can set up a company, you can then end up recruiting 20, 30 people who, without you, may not necessarily... Yeah, they'll have had jobs, but you've created jobs for, for, for people. You've created livelihoods. And I think you know, you be, you begin to feel more positive about what you're doing. Not just the fact that it's making money, but the fact that, you know, what you're doing is creating uh, opportunities for other people and mm. it's creating opportunities for the country. Mm. Uh, uh, um, and I think if you think about that... It's definitely gratifying. I think that's a big pull mm. uh, because 
you can make all the money and still feel like I'm lonely or, yeah, or empty. I'm not happy, yeah. uh, etc. But again, I think you know, if you see that impact that you have on people, uh, yeah. uh, that that's that's always a plus. And then, but then also, I think also just have a plan. I think yeah. one of the reasons why a lot of people, in my view, don't succeed going back is there is a when you come on holiday. Yeah. And you take take Lagos for example. I mean, yeah. you've come on holiday a few times. Yeah. There's a nice social scene. There's a buzz. You yeah. know, if you want to go out every night, you know, if you want to eat different food, you there's that. But that's a holiday. That's not reality. Yeah, that's not real life. You know, so what I say is that think about what your priorities are, what is important to you. Um. What can let let you thrive in a chaotic environment? Mm. Uh, and if Lagos isn't f- for you, then Abuja maybe you mm, know, mm, mm. or or That's Ghana, yeah. or Kenya. So think about what you as a person can, what you want, mm. what you can live with. So it's actually what I'm saying. Is it has to be a strategic plan. Mm. Uh, it has to be a conscious plan of, okay, I want to move back. What do I need to have as a minimum? Mm. Uh, what do I need? What can I do away with? What are my priorities? Mm. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, I always, I mean, if you're somebody that says, I mean, these days you can get everything these days because, I mean, you know, I mean, we have, but when I moved back, we didn't have a lot of the so a lot of the formal shopping malls that we have now. We didn't have that. Yeah, yeah. shop right and stuff. Like shop. That, yeah. So if you're somebody that you can't do without a supermarket, yeah, <laughs> you know, then make sure you go somewhere where there's a where supermarket, there's a supermarket because supermarket, yeah. you, so they just think you've got that to build you've got to you, build it around. Yeah, yeah, you need to decide what's important for you. What can I live with? What do I need to have? What are my triggers? <laughs> yeah. Also, <laughs> my dad said how the last time he went to Nigeria, he realized because he kept getting triggered. He said he got triggered on three different occasions, and that really made him question whether he actually wants to move back to Nigeria because. I think there was one where someone was driving, someone cut him off. You know my dad, so I think someone cut him off, and my dad just started shouting at the driver, and he was just like. If you know my dad, you'll know why that's quite a shocking thing. And he was just like, he doesn't even know how he found himself in a position yeah, where he's certain. screaming at somebody in a, and he just said, this place is too strong. Another time at the airport, I think someone was chasing him for 200 naira <laughs> and he didn't have the change. And he was just like, leave And this woman had literally chased him across an airport and he was just, yeah, but he, he mentioned like two or three things where it was just like, these triggers, like, and yeah. he, he now, it's funny that you're saying this because, um, we really do need to wrap up, but it's funny that you're saying this because I think, no offence to my dad, but he kind of moved, his plan, he didn't really plan very well, like this idea of moving back, it was kind of like he wants to move back and he'll see how it goes. And he was saying like how, you know, he sees you, he sees Uncle Kay, he sees a lot of different, and you know, you've got house helps, you've got, you've almost built an infrastructure to make Nigeria comfortable. Mm. And he was like, yeah, he doesn't need all of that. But the last time he went, I think it, in particular, it's funny, he's going tomorrow. But it was like the last time he went, it made him realise, no, 
because of all these different triggers, he actually needs to, he really appreciates why people are building a kind of world to make Nigeria more manageable whilst you're there. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, like I say, you, you, you need to understand what, it's because it's a very stressful environment. Yeah. You need to manage that. And, which is why when you come to the UK, you, you kind of take things for granted. Yeah. You, you know, you walk to a Tesco Metro, you walk to a Sainsbury, and you go and you do your shopping, you, you walk home, and everything is just nice and quiet, yeah. you know? Um, but the reality is that if you want to do that in Nigeria without having people helping you, it just... It would it would drive you mad yeah, because literally. <laughs> you want the heat is too hot. <laughs> Two, you have to the traffic is just chaotic. Traffic is outrageous. You're dealing with everyone trying to hustle you. Yeah, you know everyone's <laughs> trying to hustle you, trying to cheat you, trying to scam you. So I mean, you just you just have to, and then with all of this, you still have to do what's important, which is what you want to set out to do yeah. your 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 business, where you're working on, etc. So if you don't have that clear mind then it kind of affects your your ability to execute. So, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, so I think identify what those triggers are and find a way to manage them. Mm. Um, but but there's a lot of excitement outside of that. I mm, mean, mm. you know, um, but like I said, I think moving back, not just a holiday, you need to think through a lot of those things. Yeah. Uh, because... That's what we keep you... Because, yeah, I mean, look, even with everything planned, you're still going to have things that come up. But if if you're happy, then you're more likely to continue to stay, mm. you know, um, um, as opposed... And, but the other thing I'll su- suggest is, which wasn't pro- pro- probably pushed for someone when I was growing up, is to actually travel around... Africa as well because yeah. like I said I think you're one of the few people you know, we've met that's gone to a lot of different places within sub-Saharan it's, it's definitely something I'd love to do yeah um, one of my interviews as well she she's um, she works in FGM female genital mutilation so she travelled a lot within Africa as well but um, yeah I'm quite jealous even as you were speaking you were speaking about all these different places you've been to um, it's definitely something that I'd, I me personally anyway would love to just see Africa in its entirety because it's funny it's so homogenized as you were talking earlier like especially by the west it's just mm. this one big <laughs> this big country like it's huge it's a, it's a humongous continent but, yeah you know it's almost viewed as other than like North Africa like sub-Saharan Africa certainly is just viewed as one big homogenous country and it's so I, I'd, I'd really love the opportunity to go around and see all the different parts of it so yeah yeah. Good. Anyway, we've got to wrap up, unfortunately. No, thanks. Uncle Benga, thank you very much for coming through. Um, Rishis on the camera, thank you for coming through as well. I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, this was episode nine, I believe. Um, and yeah, look forward to, to, to dropping some more interesting and exciting episodes. Thank you.